See, I disagree because I don't think dead is ever better. <laughs> if the choice is between dead and not dead, usually go not dead. Right. Usually. Right. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> dead is better. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And in honor and as an homage to Stephen King's Pet Cemetery remake coming out April 5th. That'll be dropping out in theaters. Uh, we're going to have a movie event review for that. We doubt it's going to have Oscar attachments. We'll see, though. Uh, John Lithgow usually pulls out weird performances when you, you least never expect know. him to. <laughs> so we're going to be covering that, and in honor of covering that, and in preparation of covering that, we decided we go back in time and watch the 1989 original Pet Cemetery movie, which was a financial success. Huge success. Why? <laughs> we'll get to it, but uh, this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike Juan. This is co-host also Mike. Also Mike here. This is an awesomely bad movie yes. in so many ways. This is a film that scared the ever-living shit out of me as a youngster. It and did. I, and I mentioned on a previous episode, Horror Movie Top 5s, that I didn't watch a lot of horror movies as right. a kid, right? This was one of them okay. that I did watch, I think, in middle school That's or funny, because I, I think this was my first experience with it. I don't think I ever sat down to watch it the whole scared time. scared me as as a kid. You know, head wound, hairy. And yeah, it's got some highlights for sure. You know, yeah. some like gory horror scene classic highlights. Old man drinking Bud Heavy, just getting involved <laughs> with the neighbors. Drinking himself to death on his front porch. Don't go down that road. <laughs> and then, of course, South Park parodies it, allays my fears. I rewatch it, and then I just kind of like it. And now, fast forward another 15 years or so. And this is awesomely bad oh after all those Oscar God, movies. was this something. So, yeah, awesomely bad is probably the best way to describe That's it. That's a generous way to He's describe very it. Very generous. Uh, we are going to do, be giving this the retrospective treatment, how we usually handle those. It's not too different from an Oscar sprint profile. We have a non-spoiler section. We have a mu spoiler warning music breakdown, followed by a spoiler section. So if you've never joined us before, we are not going to spoil the 1989 Pet Cemetery movie, at least not until the spoiler section, which is going to be the second half of these episodes. But don't worry, you will have plenty of notice before that happens. How we usually start uh, reviews and retrospectives like this is Mike is going to go through the cast and crew, and this is all non-spoiler for the 1989 Pet Cemetery movie. Yes, directed by Mary Lambert of the In Crowd. Life is a mystery. <laughs> and a ton of iconic. I'm just going to keep singing that as you go through her. Ton bio. of iconic <laughs> music videos from the 1980s. When you call my name. The 1990s, <laughs> including yes, Madonna's Like a Prayer. Yeah. Uh, both the novel and the screenplay, of course, were written by Stephen King. I shouldn't say of course there, because Stephen King basically contracted in his deal, or contracted an ST. You contract viruses. Uh, you could, yeah, sure, amongst. What do lawyers talk about when lawyering a contract? Negotiate? He negotiated in his deal for his contract. Lawyers contract viruses as well. That he should be the sole screenwriter of this film when he sold the rights to the movie. And thank God for that. <laughs> Yeah, he's really, he's really hit and miss, Mr. King. <laughs> Pet Cemetery also stars Dale Midkiff as Dr. Lewis Creed. Was he the angriest man in the world when Paul Rudd came on the scene? He is an angry man being interviewed in this entire documentary oh, really? about this movie. Okay. And I wonder if before he filmed the interview about this movie, he watched this movie. <laughs> Because he sucks in this movie. Oh, I've wasted my life. <laughs> oh, no. What did, did I rot on screen? Anyway, Fred Gwen plays uh, Judge... 
Judge. He, do- he does. He used to play Judge from My Cousin Diddy, yeah. but he plays Judge... The what? Judd Crandall. He's from the Munsters, of course, yes. Fred Gwynn, and uh, my cousin Vinny, Two Utes. Yeah. He's very funny in that movie. The Two uh, What? Yeah, I said that already. I and he my... is funny in this movie. Yes. Gosh darn it. Uh, from 48 Hours and Deep Impact, we have Denise Crosby. She plays wife and mother Rachel Creed. Of course, from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Brad Greenquist is Victor Pascal. That's Matt... not close to true, by the way, with what I just said, but keep going. Well, I missed what you just I said. said. I said, of course, to... from Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. <laughs> yeah, I try to push through, and I listen to you every other comment. You may <laughs> just start <coughs> p- piping in false statements when you're talking. <laughs> you could, because I'm, I'm literally reading a paragraph. I know, you didn't Pause for Mike to talk. <laughs> Pause for Mike to talk. And it's funny because I, la- sorry. I laugh at them later. I, I do. I laugh at your little quips later, but it's I'm trying to... As yeah. my insecurity gets blinding when I get no you, reaction a, from you. It's bad. It's bad for you because we, we have audience of one and we're you're bombing over here. You yeah. think you're bombing to me and yet I'm Let just, me assure you, I'm bombing to the listeners at large. But really, I'm just kind of going through my thing. I, I got to hyper focus. Brad Greenquist, Michael. He is Victor Pascal, or as I like to call him, Massive Headwound Harry. Good God. Did, did you see the Massive Headwound Harry skits on SNL with Phil Hartman? Yeah, way back in the day, but yeah, I remember them. Now I'm the one bombing. <laughs> we have child actor Miko Hughes. You, you remember You remember those? <laughs> Miko Hughes from Kindergarten Cop, Mercury Rising, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah. Plays Gage Creed, who also happened to be Adonis Creed's long-lost brother, <laughs> who also happens to be the boxer and son of Apollo Creed, who also happens to be in the forever unsold also Mike script of Creed 3 is Rocky dead yet Creed 3 the white one <laughs> I can't sell script <laughs> Pet Cemetery also stars Michael Lombard Susan Blomert Mara Clark Kavi Raz Mary Louise Wilson Andrew Habatsik Liz Davies Kara Dalk and Matthew August Farrell most of whom are all interviewed in a very good documentary on the making of Pet Cemetery called Unearthed and Untold the Path to Pet Cemetery. These are both, both the movie and the uh, documentary, are on Amazon Prime right now. I think this is also on demand somewhere on VOD. It's on my Xfinity and it's on Amazon Prime okay. this minute. Uh, my apologies if this is showing my ignorance, but these, not exactly a. A rundown of A-listers that have been in Hollywood for decades, right? I really fought back the urge to make a lot of jokes about <laughs> these being real actors or actresses. Yeah, yeah. Kind of looks like a bunch of... Uh, they use the stage name for this one production, Mike. 80s and 90s uh, <laughs> famous television actors. <laughs> they were also in Grog. <laughs> It's made up name, I think. There's <laughs> anyway, story inception and production notes here. Uh, so Stephen King writes a novel. Uh, he really did become a college professor with a family with very young children living on a main trucking road. I think it might have been a Vermont trucking road, but it's in the docu- front of the documentary. But he's up in New England there. He becomes a college professor. He's teaching one course on Frankenstein and all this classic horror literature. And he chases his kid up to this trucking road, which is at the front of his property. And he says that he basically, in the blink of an eye, came up with the whole Pet cemetery plot line. So he was chasing his kid from real danger and was like... I, I, I expect the joke you're going to make because I, there, there's also a real pet cemetery, but go ahead. Well, like, 
okay, saving your kid from an oncoming truck is one thing, but that wouldn't necessarily automatically suggest to me, oh, if he died, at least I could bury him in this Indian burial ground and he'll come back to life. True, true. <laughs> but, okay, but I think beforehand, like, all these, like, local Maine people mm-hmm. are interviewed for this documentary, and they're telling the stories of, like, the lady who owns the real pet cemetery near this trucking road right. that Stephen King happenstanced. She is like in front of the real pet cemetery talking about how Stephen King saved his little kid in the documentary and stuff. So Stephen King apparently was doing research on this pet cemetery. He's also researching all these old folklore things for these classes that he's taken or that he's teaching about Frankenstein and stuff. So it's like a perfect storm where you have ancient mythological Native American deity and pet cemetery that's actual and... My kid almost gets hit by a truck, and I really like the Ramones, and I'm also a college professor. All of that's happening in his life, and this is why he cranks out four books a year, because yeah. he doesn't necessarily go into the subtext. He kind of just <laughs> takes from his life, puts it out on paper, and then rawr. Yeah, pretty much. Rawr indeed. So Stephen King finishes the novel. He, he thought it was so morbid that he just shelved it. Not until he switched publishers, right, that he was basically asked by his previous publisher to pay his bonus back or some some bonus or some big chunk of money and the bottom line was they're like you either pay that back whatever that bonus was or you give us another book and he's like well i got pet cemetery on the shelf they're like we'll take it oh geez so they market pet cemetery they market pet cemetery the novel as what kind of story would scare stephen king question inside of the flap that's smart right under his author yeah uh, and because it's and it's true yeah stephen king did not want to put it's this just, out into the world. It's just not out of fear. It's a little bit out of shame that he didn't want people to know he thinks but like this. This becomes a worldwide sure. bestseller. Smart marketing. And it was smart marketing. And a lot of people like this. This scared me as a youngster. I don't know if it, if it scares me ever again. <laughs> Mike, George A. Romero of the Living Dead series bought the film rights in 1984, but he had to let it go when he chose to make Monkey Shines instead. Have you seen Monkey Shines? I haven't even seen Pet Cemetery until okay. last week. So Producer Lindsay Doran <laughs> got control of the script for Embassy and then Paramount Pictures. And then they only decided to do this when 1988 happens and there's a writer's strike. So because they need basically something that you don't need a rewrite for, apparently, that's what they thought, <laughs> she would pitch this script. It's like, this is a script ready to be shot right now. And she was pitching that script for years under that guise. She's like, I've been telling you we could do this. Stephen King wrote it. It's ready to go. Let's let's do it. And they all said yes. I, you can't say it didn't work out for them. Oh, it definitely did. Right. And it's scary, like, for, for younger people. It's It's got a classic kill in it. Definitely a classic all-time horror movie kill in it. Yes, yes, that is a that is a classic yeah. kill. And it still gets you at the it end does, of the movie. It does, for sure. It, it really does. Little, yeah, yeah, without saying too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen King sells the film rights, and he stipulated two things, like I said. Number one, that he write the script and get sole screen credit. Also, that it be shot in Maine, because he's a resident of Maine, and he wants to bring the money from the movie into the economy. And there's nothing to do up here in the Northeast but just linger on thoughts of death and, and despair. <laughs> yeah, but also that's why everybody in this documentary, Mike, they know every single story from the set because they just like, come around and watch, <laughs> watch the production. I, I don't know why I'm giving them a southern yeah. answer, but <laughs> watch Northeast states. Otherwise, just sit there drinking Bud Heavies and watching the road. <laughs> Eating lobster. 
They're just talking to the residents and they're like, Fred Gwynn, Fred Gwynn, this is what you should play. Anyway, here's the thing too, like in the Valley, right? You Mm -hmm. have dialects that are unique to the Valley, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where we live in Connecticut. So that's a New England town. We wouldn't think there's a Connecticut accent or the Valley accent. There's definitely a Valley accent. Yeah. And this is a main accent. I don't pay my taxes. That's the Valley accent. (laughs) Good point. Sorry for everyone that listens to us. (laughs) We got like a lot of Valley listeners, but they're happy. They love that they don't have to pay high taxes and they vote mayors in that don't you know order high taxes they like that <laughs> good nice thank uh, you for the cover <laughs> tried to cover for you <laughs> anyway mary lambert uh was well connected with the music video industry with the music industry as a director after a ton of those music videos and she was friends with the ramones yeah uh who she asked to meet with stephen king who she knew was a huge fan of the ramones and he gives D.D. ramone the book for pet cemetery D.D. ramone reads the book for pet cemetery and then he goes all right, well, write this in 40 minutes. He writes this in 40 minutes. <laughs> I don't want to be buried in a cemetery in a little faster. Your accents that have been on 40 point. 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. 40 minutes, I write I write that song if I'm Didi Ramon. Well, and here's a billion that. dollars to do it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Easy peasy. It must pretty, be nice to be famous. It's not a terrible song. It's, it's a no, song. It's notes Sheena is a punk rocker, but it's, not a, it's pretty good. It was definitely notes that were put on paper and performed. They literally <laughs> sing the plot at your face, that whole song, and it's it's brilliant. And then, yeah, I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery either. Well, also, pet cemetery has nothing to do with this movie, and I don't want to live my life again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. certainly not this one. <laughs> yeah. No, you're correct, Mike. You got some spec. Yeah, and uh, actually, Mary Lambert's on on. I think it was on Wikipedia or something, or maybe an interview somewhere else. But she said she's convinced she only got the job to direct this. Because King knew she was close with the Ramones from her music video days, so she's convinced that that kinship was why she got that this gig. That is very cool. Uh, Pet Cemetery Specs, directed by Mary Lambert, who had done a ton of work directing music videos and compilation pieces of music videos for such bands as Chris Isaac, the B-52s, Whitney Houston, and Mariah Carey, Lionel Richie, and Queensryche, as well as perhaps most famously, like Mike told you, directing the infamous Like a Prayer music video for Madonna, written as both a novel and a screenplay by Stephen King. Stephen King, interestingly enough, 288 writing credits just on imdb so that doesn't take into account all the other works he's done that haven't yet been adopted or adapted should be the word Mm -hmm. but uh 288 writing credits so he's getting paid uh, by everybody pretty soon he's just going to be reading his writing credits on imdb and that becomes a horror that itself becomes its own yes (laughs) (laughs) pet cemetery though only one of six screenplays credited to king in full his last one actually was done this 1989 adaptation of pet cemetery this was king's last screenplay until 2014's a good marriage that's Hmm. kind of interesting to note there richard rubenstein is the lone listed producer on the film as he had been for many of king's project adaptations throughout the 80s and 90s elliot goldenthal did the very 90s score in music for this mo- yeah. movie as he did for Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Heat and Alien 3, working with some big names there. Uh, the the two Batman films, Michael Mann's Heat, Alien 3 was Fincher. So he's been at least attached to talent. Mike, what about <laughs> Batman Forever gets hired back? Now we know. 
That's a great question. Now we know. It's that guy. <laughs> Peter Stein did the cinematography, as he did for Chud and Friday the 13th Part 2. If you don't remember Chud... I don't remember I, 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 I don't, don't think I've ever seen it. I kind of tangentially knew the plot, but Sean Fennessy on the big picture talking about how Chud is one of the VHS tapes in us it is. next to the Hands Across America commercial. Right stuff, and there's something else up there. I forget what it was. Go listen to that podcast, because he did a, like a five to ten minute breakdown just on Chud and the similarities and the relevance. It really blew me away. I wanted to mention that specifically. Uh, Mike, uh, Sean, and Oscar podcast coming soon. <laughs> now, I wrote it down, too. I just did. I forgot to say it. I, I knew saying. it, too. <laughs> I did. I forgot to say it. Nobody believes me. Nobody reads my Google documents. Daniel P. Hanley and Mike Hill did the editing. Uh, both did and have done for virtually every Ron Howard feature film ever. They are like the go-to editors for Ron Howard. Paramount Pictures, listed as the production company and the distributor here. Four twenty-one eighty-nine is when this glorious beast was released upon our nation yeah. in the movie theaters. A 103-minute runtime on an R rating. If you believe Wikipedia numbers, this film was, a, like I said, big financial success. $11.5 million was its production budget. It went on to make $57.5 million at the box office. Five times almost its, uh, it's big money. production budget? Good God, never mind what it made back in DVD sales. It went on sale for DVDs early in, or late in 2000 the year 2000, so it's been available for a long time. 4K DVD, just uh, the 4K UHD DVD or Blu-ray just went on sale, I think, today as we're recording this, March 26th, I think I read. You get another life with yeah, remakes. exactly. So this thing's just going to keep lining Stephen King's pockets and amongst others. Some score site numbers, 6.6 .6 IMDb score on 79,000 plus reviews, 50% critic score on Rotten Tomato on 28 reviews, average critic score is a 5.14 out of 10, 59% audience score a little better on 97,000 plus reviews, average audience score is a 3.2 out of 5, and maybe the most relevant, a 38 meta score. Not improper. <laughs> <laughs> Makes some sense. All right, Mike, let's talk about some, uh, some plot premise, some expectations. So here's the plot premise, and it's misreading, just like I'm misspeaking. <laughs> After tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers, that's the lie right there in the middle of the sentence, yeah. discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the power to raise the dead. He does not discover not this. Not at all. Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> I discovered it in the ancient burial ground. No, someone shows him yeah. this ancient the burial ground. The crop circles and signs were discovered. <laughs> Those were discovered. This is done on purpose right. by an evil mastermind. But we'll talk about it in spoilers. I want to talk about expectations, Mike, because I'm very curious to hear what your expectations were. Because I don't know. It could be anywhere all along the map. I know you You love horror movies. You, I do. You endure many of them. I do. And you are... <laughs> You have a high tolerance for bad horror. I, I like to think so, yeah. This was a little much. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it to be so hokey. And when I found out it was a theatrical release, which I yeah. found out after watching it, I was like, there's no way this thing made money. And it obviously did. I know nothing. That's We, we know that all along. But I thought, sure, this was like an ABC miniseries during the early 90s, late 80s. Yes. A two-night thing. And it's just kind of one of the, like the It miniseries, basically. It goes on to horror, fame, and fortune. I knew about the kill, the one kill that's actually my best scene in the movie as well, ahead of time. Because I had seen it in like different various, the Preposterous best. Preposterous but scary, yes. Right, right, preposterous <laughs> probably being the main word there. But other than that, I thought, how could you prepare for some of the stuff this movie has? The film critic in us now, 
They, they do not. We do not suffer these things in a movie, right? Like that's what I was so surprised by because I hadn't seen this in maybe ten years. Sure. Ten years ago, I watched it. Maybe one of my and it was brothers. scary. You remember it being scary? And it was still kind of scary. You know, ten years ago, I'm still not the horror vet right. with dead nerve sure. endings like I am now after hanging out with you for the last eighteen months. <laughs> so, bottom line is that like, has nothing to do with movies, though. <laughs> but just <laughs> Mike abuses me and lowers my threshold for any pain yeah, that's right but basically uh you know oscar films and and all the horror movies that we watch the great horror movies that we watch and we love to watch and we review and we shout up and we we, we do them in franchise long series of right. 10 plus pots they are they are so much better than this in so many ways like there are just unforgivable sins in this movie oh my god it's like it's not even the same cloth as some like modern day horror especially yeah. watching this in concert like we did with us how us is such a high concept right. subtextual movie and then there's this which is just like oh my kid's going towards the road i'm gonna turn around and wave to my wife type thing yeah that's a primal fear and that's good enough <laughs> good enough right pet cemetery <laughs> Pet Cemetery is kind of scary. We all got pets. <laughs> Which, by the way, I said this in passing, the Pet Cemetery has nothing to do with this movie. I don't know if they fixed that in the remake, but it has nothing to do with this movie. Very true. Pretty much. <laughs> I can't disagree with you. Anyway, production values, Mike. I'll start with something positive. The production design of the Pet Cemetery, of the Micmac Burial Ground, the absurdity of the homes on the road with the trucks going by so fast... That is one hell of a of a setting, I would say. It's it's a really cool place to exist in film. So I thought they did a hell of a job with the production design uh, and and all those things. A real great atmosphere. I wonder if that's part of the reason why this movie does well, part of the reason why it sells to a mass audience. Like, you can put a trailer together, delete all the fuck-ups, and just have a trailer of halfway decent yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. And the look of it is it, it will entice you to see it. Very New England, yeah. very open and very folly with with a lot of uh, foliage and trees and whatnot. I think I read on the Wikipedia page that they couldn't find a house that had that tree in front of it. So they actually, that tree in the opening scene was dug up and brought into this house they decided they were going to use for shooting. Yeah. So they brought it special. So that's kind of a cool story. You know, yeah, it feels like a very open and honest. It actually kind of reminded me of the set design and the, some of the shots of First Reformed, except obviously not as avant-garde, but like right. very just calm, peaceful New England setting where stuff's going to go haywire in a little bit. And it's, it's funny because the editing usually juxtaposes one idyllic setting <laughs> with some just uniquely terrifying horror. And it's very interesting. Like, the editing of the film is hilarious at times. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. And it's yes. the, one of my favorite yes. things ever. Like, the husband and wife kiss, saying goodbye through the day at work. The little baby's being held by the mother. Bye-bye, daddy. <laughs> Bye-bye, daddy. And then cut to, smash cut, bloody <laughs> head guy being carried by college kids into doctor we need a doctor he was hit by a truck the best the best <laughs> everybody in this town yeah. has to avoid these speeding Mack trucks that are barreling down these open roads <laughs> the biggest danger the people in this town face is being hit by a truck it's it's a terrifying danger just like Mike Fences. They're not that hard to build. They're, they're built all over the world. It's also worth noting, we're not dealing with, like, blind corners on these streets. Right. Like, we're, de 
<laughs> miles long straightaways where you could see the truck coming for 30 seconds yeah. beforehand. <laughs> and the guy thinks he's in the clear because people could see me, right. right? I'm pushing the gas down. I'm singing my rock song. Right. The Ramones are big at this time still. Oh, I don't Jesus. Know. So, yeah, there's holes like that. Now, I think the cinematography is strong. So to go negative, positive, negative, positive. Another positive, cinematography is pretty darn good. The editing makes it crazy, but, I mean, the look of some of these scary moments, are it's pretty pretty nice. I, I don't mean to jump ahead on you, but everything for... I mean, editing is ridiculous, but it's not the most ridiculous. Everything for me wasn't terrible just on its face in a vacuum if I were to take it scene by scene yep. before the through line comes involved. Um, but everything was better than the music and the score to me. That I mean, that score yep. was... I don't mean to jump ahead, but no, that score... Was, cinematography was respectable compared yeah, to the score, I mean, especially. Yeah, compared to the score, everything looks great. Yeah. And compared to the editing, everything looks great. So I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe my standards are up and down, up and down. The, the music in this movie, Laughable. when it's not the Ramones, it is really bad. And the even, soundtrack, I'm sure, was fine because you got the Ramones and you got even, a couple other bands. Yeah, even when it is the Ramones, it's like... <laughs> All right, he wrote that in 40 minutes, but the other the other hit song's good, it's, and it's during the worst scene, or the most tough toughest scene to watch. Anyway, but then again, I want to be sedated. Couldn't have taken that long to come up with. Very true. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. <laughs> yes, that's what we should do here: is desecrate I don't the remote legs for this part. So I'm just gonna go. Ba, 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 ba. Fascinating. Why am I saying so much in this episode? I enjoy it. I, I hope you, you keep it up. You enjoy it now. I listen to it later, and I'm just like upside down in. My my car <laughs> not even looking driving a mac truck down an open road yeah, listening, to the Ram- listening to the ramones and the podcast at the same time that right. improv we've work. all been there yes and is sometimes a blessing and a curse michael fascinating to watch this documentary because to jump back to production design for another second they actually took a main home right and to get the look that they wanted they built a facade a massive facade yeah. over the house so and and then they basically would take it down and then they filmed the house the other house I don't know what they did but there's a whole documentary on this it's two hours long I've watched it twice on Amazon Prime and I don't remember or didn't write it down but they said line, they insulated the actual home so they can destroy light on fire tear down whatever they did to the outside of it I don't understand how that works me neither especially when people are getting injured on set. Like Dale Midkiff actually had a second-degree burn because he walked too close. <laughs> and he would say, yeah, he was holding a dummy and he was supposed to hold it the dummy higher. Oh, Jesus. And then something came out of the house because they're just setting it aflame. Or he just when saw he's Halloween by. 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, saw <laughs> Paul Rudd. He's like, my career's over. He, this guy's getting all these roles. <laughs> walked into the house on fire purposefully, yeah. It's interesting to watch all of these literary professors and film critics talk about how Stephen King really is a student of history. I know he, he puts in his real life stuff blank and you know right in the text of the right. movie, but he also does do some research about the history of the towns and it is a huge like Derry. You know you have all the history of the town of Derry involved in the and movie it plays game. a big role. Yeah, and it plays a huge role. You know the, the, I loved his book about the JFK assassination. Loved it. And it, are you a, a big Stephen King guy? I love every like fourth Stephen King book okay. and I I probably read 20 something of his books they're easy to listen cool. to easy All right, to good. read and I love some of his movies the same deal right. like right. some are good but some are so bad I agree I agree it's hit and miss 
And this is not a good book. I will be honest with you. I, okay, I that's not, interesting to know. I do not enjoy Pet Cemetery. I read it last year, I think. Because it did. I, I, I think it was one of his more popular ones, if you were asking an average Stephen King fan. It certainly made its money on a book alone and drew up enough excitement to, whether, again, you can go back to if it was the wise marketing, because that really is clever marketing by yes. that by that book company, that distributor. But whether it was because of the hype of the book or the hype of the marketing, it did enough to draw five times production budget into its theater doors, which was huge, especially in that time, late 80s. And I wonder if that's because he he really incorporates history in, in his, yeah. and it's, it's, he's like a student of history, if I can beat that dead horse, into the ground, but with everything he does. And of course, he did that throughout The Shining, and Kubrick really ran with that. And Kubrick took that idea, folded it up into a basketball, and threw it away. And yeah. did something better. But yeah, look, I don't want to. I don't want to be right, like a right, right, we right. shit on Stephen King podcast. No, no, no. Here, I, I, you're making a great point. He definitely is not just a guy that talks for the sake of talking. He puts well thought out and well constructed ideas that have their place in the plot and does his best to weave not only his life experiences but tie them down to something historical that makes it maybe more relatable to everyone. I absolutely agree. And if you're a of him and if you're a fan of this movie even though i'm kind of weirdly still a fan of this movie in a way that documentary is fun to watch like yeah. i said i watched it twice and it flew by and there is good in there's classic horror goods in this movie and there's if you take it from not an Oscar podcast standpoint, like we're not going to. We got too bougie. Yeah, got, if, yeah. You, if you take it from just a, a normal Saturday night, you know, B-roll scary movie, it does its purpose. All that being said, Michael, the performances are horrendous. Don't hire children. Don't have children. Don't hire children. <laughs> they're so bad. I mean, the kid, the child actors, they're both bad. They're I, terrible. Listen, that the, is a little child. That Miko is a like one-year-old kid. Miko Hughes was, I think they said three when he got the role, okay? Yeah. He wasn't awful. He's not good. He's not... He's bad. Haley Joe Osment would have been a better choice, I would I say. don't disagree. The sister, the sister was unbearable to me. Is absolutely insufferable. Absolutely unbearable. I could not scene. stand her as a part of this movie. How does she not get fired on the spot after <laughs> delivering one line? That's Blaze Berdahl playing Ellie Creed. Uh, our apologies, but look, it's tough to have to rely on child actors. This is the point we made in our Us review. You ask a lot of any kid giving getting any kind yeah. of integral role in any movie and those roles even if it's a few speaking lines those alone could do enough damage to take the viewer out of the movie unfortunately that's part of what goes wrong in this film it happens in a lot of great movies yeah. too like the star wars the last jedi i had a major yeah. problem with one of those child actors and it's Good because point. child actors are usually very inexperienced and if you're an inexperienced actor it's very difficult to live in the scene and and not just try to recite the line yeah. to the, you know to the point where mommy will wave to you and say good job right i mean there was even one thing in the documentary where this kid kept doing the wrong thing and the director finally just yelled at him <laughs> and he's she's like he's like it's this name or something oh, Jesus and Christ. the kid was just like remembering to this day like shaking the guy like <laughs> It's like a grown man now. But that's I mean, I wonder if it also has to do with the fact that all right, we're in Maine, you know, these kids are in school, so what did they have to use? They had to use probably Maine actors. They're not in Hollywood where you you've got a whole roster of child actors who've done I, if more you, stuff. If you go back and read what Mary Lambert had to say about hiring Miko Cuse to play the part of Gage, she advocated for two people in this movie hard. She advocated for Fred Gwynn to keep his part and she advocated for Miko Hughes because apparently the production company wanted that role to be filled by twin actors. 
Yeah. And she said, no, he's perfect. He's so good. He did great at the screening. So I, I don't know, man. I guess, I mean, as three-year-old actors go, it's okay. But And, and Fred Gwynn is okay. He's pretty good. He's, Fred Gwynn, for me, is probably the best of any character we have. He's a caricature yeah, in many he ways. Is. Even though I liked uh, I liked Massive Head Wound Harry, who was <laughs> Brad Greenquist as Victor Pascal. I liked Fred Gwynn, as I said. Look, the lead of this film... And in fact, that entire family, the uh, Creed family, are just brutal. They're yeah, horrendous. D- Dale Midkiff does like five or six things because we're supposed to be dead serious when he's around. He does five or six things in this movie that make me laugh so hard, so unexpectedly that I forgot happened in this film. That That's why this is awesomely bad. Because an awesomely bad movie shouldn't just be something like, look, that's terrible, laugh at the right. movie. It should be you're watching the movie, you're trying to give it credit, and then it just hits your funny it's bone. It's so offensively misplaced or wrong that you can't help but laugh at it. It hit my funny yeah. bone so hard he several has, times. He has certain relays of emotion that like are so the opposite of what he should be feeling for the motivation of the why he's in that scene and doing what he's doing. Yeah. That it's like, what is what movie does he think he's in right you now? You know, I wonder if it's a disconnect between a first time feature film director. Yeah. I wonder if they didn't necessarily know that they wanted all these smash cuts to the big, you know, right. uh, cra- crazy be. horror scenes. If they had the script that was really a shooting script or not if if Stephen King figured it was going to be you know more of a flow and the fact that they're just the, the, the all the jarring editing makes it even more comical but yeah it, it's definitely swings and misses there with the performances in terms of some script thoughts mike this is mind numbingly stupid this storyline it's I, really dumb i don't know how there was a book and a movie that okayed the title of this <laughs> with the plot being what it is I, that's offensive to me. It's it's a, it's a, is it purposeful misdirection? I I don't think so. I think that he's writing five novels a year, <laughs> and I think he's trying to get his themes across. And I think there are primal hooks yes. in this storyline for the audience. Yes, I would agree. And there's some scary stuff in in, in that regard. And sometimes that's enough, and maybe it outshines or you scare. You scare beyond, like, all right, that's a scary image, or that's a scary element in the in the screenplay, or that whatever. It kind of makes up for multiple sins, and but the, us now, we, I mean, we it, freaking argue over a movie right. that's a, like a B plus or an A minus <laughs> right. over one thing, and we get into screaming matches that go for an hour. Right, it's true. <laughs> and here, just like the whole plot, basic plot does not work at all. We're gonna get into that it's in a minute. Bad, yeah. You you put it best at the beginning there. So I want to uh, dance with somebody. Do you, you don't want to do an Oscar lens for this? God help us. No. Yeah, you read my comic. God help us. No. No, no, no. All right. Let's dance. Sorry. Right. No Ramones here. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers.
This is the spoiler section for the 1989 classic horror movie, <laughs> Pet Cemetery, uh, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, the movie event review and retrospective. If you have not seen the 1989 classic Pet Cemetery, uh, if you don't want to know what happens, it's a good place for you to pause. Go seek it out. It's on a lot of streaming services like we talked about in the non-spoiler section right now. Go watch it. We'll be here when you come back to hit play. If you've seen the movie already, if you're curious to hear our takes on it, or if we've just hyped up the 1989 classic horror movie, Pet Cemetery, <laughs> so much. Why does that make me that <laughs> you cannot go another minute without knowing what happens. This is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time from here on out, in and out of the plot of Pet Cemetery from 1989, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. So usually we start with carryovers. Mm -hmm. um, since the prism of this review is kind of how the awesomely badness of it, we're going to start with the things that we were legitimately impressed by right. from like a, an Oscar critic pundit standpoint. We have actually... Two of those, which are I things. I actually have two and a half. Okay. I'm say. I, so, I just... so we have a couple legitimate things to praise. Right. And then afterwards, we'll talk about what is the awesomely bad uh, sludge to mire through if you're <laughs> going to sit through and watch this. So let's start. Mike, what were you legitimately impressed by? So number movie? one, the very ending. This just dawned on me. The very ending okay. with the wife coming back and with him walking away with the wife. Well... I you know I waited too long with Gage. Now I thought that's that's some horrifying stuff. That I liked. That I didn't makes, mind that. That makes some sense there too, because his whole world is just blown up. He's short circuited. He has just he just know, killed his kid. Psychotic break. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that makes sense. And he then, just killed his child and found out afterwards his child had killed his wife. That being said, Victor Pasco's like I can go no further. Echo. Echo. Ridiculous. Echo. And then he's there. No. Ridiculous. Like why not? <laughs> <laughs> Tell him large. Marge sent you. That's all I could think of when we see Pascal in the truck. <laughs> I tell him Large Marge sent you. I just think Victor Pascal was talking to Large Marge or somebody. He's like, wait, watch, watch how I'm gonna come <laughs> at the worst time and just tell them I told them so. Watch this. No, don't do it. See, I'm gonna tell him. And he's like. I'm gonna give tell. running commentary. In large march, like, I'm gonna tell them that they're about to fuck up their whole lives to break the barrier, and they're still gonna do it. And that's another. That's an awesomely bad thing. We're gonna talk about Victor, but you liked his character overall. I liked his character's introduction because okay. okay, he has the big scary. Well, he has the big scene where he gets hit by a truck and then he wakes up, right? Right. And he Say tells his final words. He's like, the ground is rotten. Right. And then he dies, and then the. the I like the fact that the husband dreams about... Oh, it's not a dream, Mike. Oh, His feet are dirty when His he gets feet back. Are dirty. I like that. That was like kind of cool. It was that was the scene that really scared me when I was a kid. I know Zelda scared me when I was a kid too, but that scene and the Zelda and that goddamn cat... Yeah, those are like those were some jarring stuff when when I was younger, and even so you, now I kind of like that stuff. So Pascal, for you, the best of his, not necessarily when he's rushed in to die, but when he comes back on the next scene and is in that dream sequence, introducing the Indian burial ground to our main protagonist here. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't get good at the more he's on screen, though, because <laughs> he's like in the tree. That is such a politically cemetery. correct way to the, put it. I like the introduction, and I like the one-liner he gives to the wife uh, as she's getting out of the truck driver's seat, and he's like, I'm not. She's like, I think it's going to go well. He's like, I'm not. I, I don't. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that was, was like a John Krasinski aside to the office, you know, looking at the camera. He's just thing. sitting on the plane. You know, he's there on the plane with the whole thing. Yeah, they that. got ridiculous with the Pascal character for sure. But uh, I, the legitimately impressed, I rail, raved about it in the non-spoiler section yeah. for me. That kill, when we do sadly dearly depart our Fred Gwynn, our beloved Judd Crandall in this movie, he is taken down in a really, it's kind of a cinematically 
awesome way, and I'm very excited to see how that scene is reproduced in the update in the reboot of the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery because we have the the little boy Gage has been reanimated after being buried in the Indian burial ground. Yeah, of course, uh, he's hiding, playing like hide and seek with Judd. Judd gets distracted by the cat, who is also a demon now, as all cats are. Uh, and Gage reaches out from under the bed and slits Judd's Achilles heel. Scary. And then does like a Joker, why, like, how did I get these scars type thing, slitting him with a scalpel from ear to ear. That was a legitimately decent and surprising kill for a horror movie. Now, after those two wounds, that, that makes some sense that he would get his throat ripped out by the demon baby, right? Oh, and I forgot that part. The baby turns into a vampire. Before those two... Now, it's a funny story in the documentary i won't spoil that okay it's a funny story in the documentary about how they filmed that and how it scared the kid and how they traumatized that kid to this day and poor nico case or whatever the hell his name is nico case is a rocker nico hughes nico hughes thank you i like nico case anyway we have the, this scene where if he just uses any of his other three extremities he will bat this little Fight demon off a kid three-year-old right? three-year-old kid he will bat him across the room scalpel or no and that's where we'll start with the awesomely bad, I think, is so a how, good place. So how many Bud Heavies do you think he's in right now? <laughs> yeah, solid. He, he passes out on the front porch. Like, a good portion of why he's not there he just to must. save the wife, to save Rachel from her demise, is because he's drunk himself to passing out. He's just muttering, don't go down that road. <laughs> look, 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 look. Don't go down that road. That's better. Look, look, look. So the big confrontation in Act at the end of act two is is lewis creed confronting gage after seeing judd's deceased body seeing rachel's deceased body the three-year-old gage comes up to him and actually gets the upper hand on him physically at first so we think okay maybe this demon baby has like superpowers but it's immediately retconned because immediately after that lewis is able to overpower him and inject him with the serum to kill him so this makes zero sense <laughs> The last guy, I guess, all right, fine. The rule of the pet cemetery is the longer you're in there, the more evil you get, I guess. I don't know. Sure. So what did the the flashback say about the guy who was just a zombie smushing his cheek? (laughs) (laughs) Smushing his cheek. I'm so evil that I'm scratching my cheek, which is not him. It was just a fat guy pushing his cheek with, like, some jelly on his hands. It's so obvious. And then he's just, like, running around. He's eating, literally eating a child's (laughs) leg. Turn off that. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> and then, like, the woman, uh, what? She, of course, realized he was an abomination. It's yeah. actually pretty good acting While he's by Fred Quinn. Picking Quint. his teeth with a bone from a kid. With a child's <laughs> yeah. femur. And I can't believe what, what foresight this woman must have had. And, of course, all the, you know, go get, let's go get him, Skeeter. They go to the house and then immediately just dousing it with gasoline. The poor old man. While the father the house. is wrestling with his son inside. And he's like, you better get out of there now, Skeeter. <laughs> They just douse the house, and of course, it's up in flames in seconds. They don't even let the old man come out. I mean, you can't. He's just a zombie. It's just one guy. <laughs> right. No, they don't They don't have time for the So you have that, and then you have a toddler, correct? Who yes. Who can barely walk. Right. Walk into traffic. <laughs> the loudest traffic ever. Yes. 
on purpose. Yes. You know, because he's this that clueless. He's just a little toddler. And then next thing you know, he's playing all these evil, sadistic games with all of these different people. Right. Does the pet cemetery being make you evil. smart? Like he makes a prank call to Judd to lure Judd over to the house. And yeah. It's like so being reanimated gives you like lets you speak in evil limericks. I want to play with you. <laughs> yeah, like, what are you talking about? I played with mommy. I played with. <laughs> I played with drunken uncle. You're Freddy. really good at that voice. <laughs> I want to play with you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, all of a sudden being reanimated makes you great at antagonizing limericks. I, I I don't know what it makes you great at because it makes you great at one thing in one scene and the other thing in the other scene. It That's makes all in one scene. Yeah, all in the same scene because once the serum is injected, so uh, Judd, or not Judd, uh, the father here injects his kid yes. with the death serum and the kid just calmly walks away like a dejected 40-year-old accountant. Now, I did think that was a smart way to shoot it because they actually did it in reverse of the kid getting up from yes. the prone position. And, it, and you could at, tell it was in reverse. And doing it in reverse actually makes it look like the kid fell. Slams into, yeah, Slams I agree. Into the, I agree. That was wise. Smart. We're not going to hurt a kid or have a stunned right. kid or anything like that. But you're right. You're right. The, the, it makes no sense because the kid is literally flying down from the attic. Like he has such a bloodlust and then he just gives up immediately. Flying down from the attic and <laughs> slashing at the, yeah. the dad. Yeah, he the wants scalpel. to kill him. He's getting into him. He's digging in there. <laughs> and then the dad, and then after that, when the scal- he picks up the scalpel and just slowly walks his dad, and like the cat, he just sta- he puts the syringe in. I'm him surprised that dad didn't put his hand on the kid's head like an older brother does <laughs> while the kid's swinging the scalpel, <laughs> like, yeah. swinging wildly. Meanwhile, Fred Gwynn is like, I can't use any of my extremities. Too many butt heads. Too drunk. <laughs> So yes, there were issues there. Nineteen seventy-five, all day, every day. My fingers don't work. Uh, Can we talk about your boy Pascal here and how he's like intermittently the good angel while also has rules when he wants to? Yeah, it makes no sense. I I cannot go any further. further. Except when I will go further. Bro, you were in my house. Like, this is where Act 3 is taking place. What do you mean you can't come back in? Makes no sense. Don't cross the barrier the night before. And then when he cro- he's, like, about to cross the Immediately. barrier, he could have could have showed up again. Right. No, not at all. No, not at all. Not. Of course not. All right. So I kind of want to backtrack a little bit yeah. and go through some earlier stuff. Because Judd Crandall, entirely, he's the entire reason for this plot. There's no reason <laughs> for him to bring the husband to the Indian burial, burial ground. Is there? There's a pet cemetery. The cat. That's, that's it. But the pet cemetery's novel enough. Like if, he says it later on. Like I didn't want your daughter to be upset. Yeah, this is all over the grief of the daughter. He's being re- rebuked by the wife while they're in the pet cemetery, and the wife's like, "My daughter, she doesn't want to be there. My daughter shouldn't. You know, she just flies off the handle at the new neighbor, <laughs> who's just like, shit. What did I step into here? <laughs> Mommy and daddy are fighting, and." <laughs> He's like, I need another butt heavy. But bottom line is, he's like, so that night, he's like, all right, just in case, or when this cat dies, I'm going to teach this guy how to do it. Yeah, I'll show you where to reanimate your dead kitty, who has not even been told that he's sick, by the way. The cat cat just ends up dead on Judd's lawn. Yeah, so the cat, well, yeah, they got the cat fixed, and then the cat comes back, whatever, but it... What I meant to say earlier and a second ago was that he was he going to teach Lewis, the Dr. Creed, how to reanimate his own kid. Because when he retells the flashbacks, this crazy coot of an old man actually tells him that, okay, it wasn't a dog. I lied. It was a guy. <laughs> 
Yeah. After being called out immediately, like Lewis at an earlier scene is like, has as a human ever been buried up there? And this causes Judd to like drop his butt heavy. He's like, oh no, of course not. And then there's like a one scene break where he's like, I may have lied. Yeah. Don't do as I say and don't do as I do. I mean, that's what he's proving to this guy. He's like, I got nothing else to fucking do. Is basically exactly saying, I got a freaking hat rack I am in bored. my dining room. There's an entire hat rack. It is the main fixture above the mantle of the centerpiece of my room, and I only have one fucking hat on there. And I got the newspaper. When the internet comes, I'm done. So yeah, Judd Crandall, what a character. Uh, Victor Pascal saying, don't cross the barrier. Of course, that's foreshadowing. Uh, a few scenes later, again, Judd is like, I have my reasons. What are his reasons? He never says his reasons. And then he's like somehow distraught that, okay, it's my fault that your son is dead. Judd didn't even, he wasn't even really a part of the last kid they brought back, was he? Like, that wasn't, he only reanimated his dog once upon a time. That wasn't like his brother who he brought back or anything, right? So the dog, no, he tells the story about the dog but it really but it was really a human i don't remember now i've seen this movie five times <laughs> but i didn't watch it recently i got prepared it last week you ask me if anyone have ever been <laughs> have ever buried a person up there on the micmac grounds <laughs> like it's you know this crazy thing right and you know of course it is. yeah of course they have why do you think it's there that's what he was building up to or not and later he's like not, but then he's uh, the, the whole movie. He's building up to that point, basically to, to tell to teach Judd. Oh, but don't bury a kid there after he dies in the road, which I saved immediately on first meeting you. <laughs> so number one, Doc, if you're gonna move to a place with a trucking road like that and you got little kids, offense. Uh, he also bought that this house without his wife ever seeing it, apparently, because right. the first thing that happens when they get there is he tells his wife, "I knew you'd like it." <laughs> So he bought this house that's on the side of a busy road with two young children without his wife's input at all. And he doesn't need money, though, right? So he can easily pay for a fence to be bought. (laughs) There's a million of these old farmers sitting around just drinking Bud Heavy. They can build him a fence. Right. They probably do it out of the kindness of their heart. Just give him a case. Give him something to do. Give him a case of beer. Yeah, look, there's a, a... major road my childhood home right mm-hmm. in front of it mm-hmm. and five rowdy boys none of us <laughs> hit, ever died hit by a truck never <laughs> got a clean slate there <laughs> none and we have pets never and we all were top bebopping around as little kids never not even close okay so we have the zelda plot line mike i wanted to talk about what a plant this was because it's it's scary and but it's scary for scary sake because it comes yeah. from absolutely out of nowhere I mean, it's scary history. All right, the the demons of our past resurface in the assholes of today, right? Like the father-in-law is an asshole because he let his daughter die, you know, that way. I mean, very much sure, so. So of course right. he's the type of guy that just get in a fight with you at your fu- at the funeral. It's also it also comes as a revelation during the weirdest edited stretch, the most absurdly edited stretch of the entire movie because we go from the kids coming home and the cleaning lady randomly kills herself with right. again zero pretext really except well, for she one had scene. stomach yeah she had stomach pains right. right and then she's like well I guess you know or the the doctor's like I can take a look at that for you. And then later on, we find out that she knew she had cancer. Yeah, she hangs herself yeah. over yeah. it, too. Which, by the way, you don't see a lot of nooses anymore. I wouldn't know how to make a noose. This woman has a perfectly crafted noose. I just wanted to throw that in there. That they are living in the <laughs> 1790s slash 1980s. 
all of these people. So we go from cleaning lady killing herself to Stephen King playing priest at her funeral. Cut immediately to Rachel giving the story about Zelda and how she was such a bad person because she wished her sister Zelda was dead yeah. because her sister Zelda creeped her out and it was so scary. And without any time for that story to marinate or play out, we cut immediately to the truck barreling down the road that'll eventually take out Gage. Which is, by the way, a three-minute song. Sheen is a punk rock. Punk rock. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I listened to this song on loop while I was preparing this episode. Yeah. And it was there's like six covers right on the Spotify <laughs> if you search it out. And so I, I kept listening to that. So that's like, all right, 21 minutes, 41 minutes, whatever it is. I think I listened to it three times preparing the episode or something. And and this guy must have been listening to the same Sheena is a punk rocker song because he pulls out and the song's still going. Still playing by the time he gets to the, t- gets the house. To the kid. Yeah. So yeah, sense. let's talk about Zelda. Uh she is the the spinalitis, spinal fipidosis, something like that. Yeah, I, it would be sad if that so that that's a real illness. She struck with something real. Yeah, I remember reading that that it's an actual disease. So if so if that's so of course it's real, right? You're depicting them as monsters like that. That's not right. That's, that's, that's the that's, '90s, that's baby. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's very that's effed up. It's a very '90s thing. Uh, Zelda doesn't really play a big role in this movie. Like she's just kind of thrown in as a she's subplot a device to get the wife back there, so they can do the crazy horror gag with the wife at the end. So is she reanimated? In like, is she part of this pet cemetery storyline at all? Well, no. Well, she's just in the wife's head. That's it, right? She's in the wife's head. She's the reason why the wife tells the husband to hate the father, and so she's just like this extra thing. In the in the movie, that basically it's she's the wife's, you know. Yeah, it's like a totally separate plot line. Yeah, she's the wife's nightmare. Right, that has very little to do with anything, and this eventually leads to again we're going down this ridiculously edited setup here. We're going to get to the kid getting hit by the truck after now, the Zelda scene. Number one, a little tr- anybody gets hit by a truck and they are a bowl of soup. <laughs> Exploded. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> the mom at one point is on the phone, or she's next to the wife who's on the phone with the husband, or, or calling the husband and getting no answer, right? Yeah. With the creepy child <laughs> painting, right? Yes. In what will, Gage will be wearing in a, a few scenes, yes. right? And the wife can't get through the husband, and, and she's like, you know how men are. He probably went to get a hamburger oh, that was or chicken dinner. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We all know how men are. <laughs> but, of course, you would be a hamburger or a chicken dinner, long setup for a bad joke, if you got hit by a truck, Michael. <laughs> yes, you would. You absolutely would. So the reason Gage gets hit by the truck is Judd and the whatever this family's last name is, Creed family, is yep. like having a picnic in the yard. We open this movie with the little girl swinging on a tire swing, right? Yep. And she falls out of the tire swing in the front yard, and that distracts the parents long enough where Gage starts wandering off by the road, and Judd saves Gage from being hit by the truck the first time. Yeah, it's just not that difficult. Like, the kid plays behind you a- away from the road, correct? Right. It's simple. You don't you don't stand. You keep yourself at all times between that kid right. and that road if you don't have a fence. At least 
in that instance, in the opening scene, the parents have reason to be distracted right. because one of their children have just been hurt, right. so they're tending to it. In this scene, Gage starts wandering to the road. Lewis is following Gage and then just decides to stop and turn around and wave at his wife and daughter. Yeah, and they're Gage who are all seated like yeah. the last who, fucking supper and they in the <laughs> opposite side. They're on the opposite side. Yeah. Of course, nobody can get up and, and run because the, now the kid is following the, the, the kite. That's a runaway kite. Like, let's go fly a kite on the other yeah. side of the table. Jesus Toward, he's, that kid, That kid could, should get closer to the pet cemetery and the knick-knack burial ground. Which, by the way, isn't evil. Would have no repercussions. Right. He should get closer to that than he does the freaking road. Yeah. And so the kid just, for no distraction, no reason whatsoever gets destroyed and if if they show the kid getting hit and just getting obliterated that at least would have provided comedic value oh my god <laughs> ridiculous all right so mike there's another scene that just made me laugh so hard so so dale midkiff you are a treasure i just want to say <laughs> because the cut to him waking up having to wake up to his son being alive him falling out of bed when the alarm sounds is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And he lo- it looks like they must have did something. It looks like he hits his eye on the corner yeah, of that end table. It does. It's just like, they should be playing. <laughs> just like, it should have like had a spring sound. Boing. <laughs> It was the most ridiculous thing. And it was after such like a heavy scene. Right. It was like it was after a Zelda scene. Yeah, I think it was after a murder. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was after the Judd murder. Yeah, because Lewis is passed out during this right. entire killing spree that the kid goes we on. We had that epic Judd murder, and then the kid, like, <laughs> maybe calls the daddy up. I think something, I yeah, <laughs> something but like that. But to him to wake up, he's just like, boing. <laughs> he falls like, off the bed. Like, a big plot device for this entire movie to get the help out of the way has been, well, let's just make him pass out. <laughs> like, Judd on the front porch to save Rachel. Hey, he's just too drunk. He's passed out. At the end of the movie, he finally, like, all right, I'm going to play solitaire and stay awake until my... the, the <laughs> three seconds. The corpse of my dead wife walks back in. Yeah. But at least the, he's smart there. All right. Yeah, I'm going to play solitaire. Right. Stay awake. I'm going to wait. <laughs> and alert so that my son doesn't steal my scalpel. The only weapon he can actually utilize to harm somebody handle yeah oh my goodness and then we do have that infamous last scene where where richard has lost his mind after killing gage now he takes the body of his wife and is saying well i waited too long so if i bury rachel quickly she'll come back and she won't be evil but i gotta get her body to the indian burial ground and he does that successfully and is now waiting playing solitaire in the kitchen by himself waiting for the reanimated corpse of his wife to come back to him i like that It's fine. It's fine, except for the fact that we have Judd's voiceover talking about some effed up views. He's like, and what you own always comes home to you. Wife <laughs> yeah, walks exactly. in to see the hug. What the fuck? Old man, what are it's you saying? It's 90s. It's, what are you saying? What you own. That's perfect. The worst timing. The editing of this movie is ridiculous. I, I don't think that was a mistake, by the way. I oh think that might have been God. right on. And then the, the final, I guess, sound we're left with. He's making out with the reanimated corpse of his dead wife. Delicious. She grabs a knife. <laughs> it's disgusting. She grabs a knife because, of course, she's going to kill him. And it is the loudest scream ever. And he like. screams, no. Is What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> 
I wasn't thinking. Like, did you want? Didn't you? I, I thought he wanted to be killed. And he allows his daughter, bad actor, but still his daughter, to be be, be raised by the Zelda parents. <laughs> Great job, Dale Midkiff. Great job, Lewis. Also, the timeline where Rachel needs to catch a flight to get back to the house to stop Gage on his killing spree. Right. The timeline between her being able to catch a connecting flight in a different airport, talk with the woman behind the counter, and come back before Gage has successfully lured Judd from across the street all happens within like uh, the same time frame. Yeah, it's in over, one night. Overnight, red eye. <laughs> and then, of course, the truck driver pulls over. She for has the to what? hitch a ride. Has to hit because all of a sudden, this is an all-present all and all-knowing evil that can control her car and make her go off the road. She's And he's like, after he opens the door, come here, babe. <laughs> and she's like, oh, hello. <laughs> I'm the bimbo of the world. I will get into your truck. can't imagine why women have a problem with how they were portrayed in Hollywood for so right. long. What the hell's wrong with her? <laughs> of course she deserves to die, and I hope she burns in hell. <laughs> but bottom line here, Mike, is she is such an idiot, and of course she goes home and gets killed by a toddler with a scalpel quickly there's no i don't there's nothing i can say (laughs) this movie is pre-pastoros so i need you to explain one line for me before we finish up here (laughs) mike the the husband and you know lewis before he goes into judd's house this the cat he's testing the serum with the cat yes and here's the line yes today is thanksgiving day for cats but only if they came back from the dead, syringe. <laughs> the cat must have heard that. I'm like, just fucking kill me. Just, that is the worst I can't line. be seen with you. What does that even mean? What What does that even mean? Have you ever had the blood of eternity flowing through your veins? <laughs> Mike, what does Thanksgiving Day for cats mean? Well, he hands him a giant steak, oh, which, today. again, you don't serve on Thanksgiving oh, anyway. Oh, that's what it meant. But it was a delayed thing. Yeah, it was very stupid. I agree. He gave him the... <laughs> steak and then said the line go go ahead it's thanksgiving day for cats but only if you came back from the dead that's a very specific insult i just think it's a bad timing (laughs) it's terrible this movie movie's pretty Uh, dreadful. do you have a grade for this movie i have a d66 i'm higher than you (laughs) i did 72 c minus i would not argue with a d66 it's a bad it's a bad movie 66.6 (laughs) <laughs> but I'm bump. If you need an awesomely bad movie, if you need a horror movie or B-roll movie to look at and laugh at, this certainly fits the bill. I am amazed. There is enough confidence in this property to get it remade. Made money. It certainly did make money. I guess they're relying. Those fans are still out there. Scared of scares teenagers still. I hope so, man. Lithgow is capable of carrying it. Jason Clark's a better actor than... <laughs> it looks like they're changing some things up in the trailers, though. It's not... It's not... Well, I won't spoil it, but they're changing things up in the trailers. Yeah. Other things happen, so we'll see. Yeah, and it looks like the deceased is going to be a little different. Um, that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> boy, this was a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. Um, have you seen the 1989 version of Pet Cemetery? If you have, and if you've seen it recently, we certainly want to know your thoughts. Um, <laughs> is this something beloved to you? Do you have this near and dear to your heart? Because this was had to be considered a cult classic on some level with the money it made and the passionate following it has to be merit a reboot and a remake like it is. Uh, you can reach us at our social medias, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available everywhere you hear podcasts, tune in Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. Michael, for the love of God, we need wisdom. 
look, the wisdom is this, and it's a pretty good wisdom. When you need a scare in a movie where the guy is, you know, basically walking over a bunch of sticks to get to an Indian burial ground, uh, basically make one of the rocks be like freaking Scrooge's doorknob, and Jacob Marley's face just go. You remember that scare in yes. this movie? I need a scare here. Let's Jacob Marley doorknob that rock. Let's go. Oh, we're dealing with spirits, right? It can form itself anywhere. Superimpose it. Oh boy, guys! When reality and uh, and some of the movies from 1989 you watch suck, uh, come watch other movies with us, yeah. and we will check you out next time. It's funny. See you.